Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Daily. I'm Rob Byrne. And I'm Ollie Gew. This is the only place for candidate interviews and daily campaign updates on Guernsey's 2020 election. We're aiming to be as local as the Via Marshi. As iconic as a Guernsey bean jar. And as reliable as the condor liberation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not only are we interviewing candidates, uh, but we're also bringing you a series of election-based features in each episode. Yep, coming up you're going to hear from Pierre Eamon, a young independent candidate with a particular focus on the environment, the creative industry, and also a personal reason for championing better pay for nurses. My mother's a nurse and, you know, she, she... She puts a huge amount of energy and effort into her job, uh, just caring for islanders. And I think for the states not to recognise the work they do is is just appalling, really. I mean, more from Pierre shortly, and from Karen Blanchford and Carol LePage from the Guernsey Disability Alliance. Here we go again. Here's the hard grind of getting uh, candidates to understand what it is that we're looking for. Also, remember to check out our bonus episodes featuring bite-sized audio manifestos from all of this year's candidates. But first. Let's get social, Ollie. Let's get social. <laughs> Let's get social. Uh, so, so basically, we know that there's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, about this election and the importance of being online, in particular social media, when you can't physically go out and knock on every household. Uh, you know, it's different to the old Paris system. So I think it's fair to say that this is probably going to be a first foray into social media in particular and, and different platforms for a lot of candidates. So we've been looking at uh, some of the, shall we say, more interesting examples of social media being used to uh, help or perhaps even hinder people's campaigns. Yeah, I've been quite interested to find out uh, how many candidates have you know, sort of eight followers. Um, so, you know, <laughs> probably probably pretty new Twitter accounts, but um, it, it must be difficult in, in an era when so many people are probably canvassing for you know so well on social media um to to be one of the newcomers um but that doesn't mean just because you uh, are used to using twitter that you're good at using twitter yeah you probably only have to look at my own twitter feed to see evidence of that uh, okay but anyway we've, we've picked out a few um things that have sort of caught our attention the first one uh, for me really is uh carl meerveld uh, the man in the hat as he's known to some people he had a bit of a clangor first up where his election website was kind of half built and was the domain was there you could go and find it now he's not alone in in doing this there are other candidates that did this as well but the funny thing about Karl Meerveld's website at that particular time it's been uh, properly built now was that (laughs) it was basically under the template for a kind of restaurant style website so <laughs> under under the picture of him and the slogan island first not me first uh you have the option of clicking on a grilled fillet for $26.95 <laughs> or if you fancy splashing out with some king crab it would cost you $40.50 or you can have some chicken breast as well delicious I don't think that's a mistake at all. I think that's uh, enterprising. You know, why not combine the two? Politics and food, they make a good combination. Uh, The next candidate who uh, made a bit of an error um, was Rosie Henderson. Now, she posted on Facebook that she wanted a new page not linked to her personal account as she was running for government. The problem was she actually posted that on her own wall rather than asking the question of Facebook in the help function, which was... uh, 
pointed out to her by another user. And Instagram, we hear a lot about Instagram. It's kind of the next big thing, isn't it, when it comes to interacting certainly with young people. Um, So we're seeing a lot of icons on people's websites to Instagram accounts. The problem, which you alluded to before, Rolly, is a lot of them might have them, but don't seem to be using them. So they don't have any posts whatsoever. An example of that might be a bit mean to just single him out would be Mark Hellier, who's the Guernsey party leader who has zero posts. Yeah, the one that I spotted, a lot of people are talking about this, actually. Um, It's a a response Mark Hellyer gave to Rosie Dory. So she sent a Facebook post uh, saying, sorry that you and the rest of your party chose to avoid the environment hustings yesterday. So Mark basically responded with uh, a massive diatribe of all of the great things he's done in the conservation uh, space, including being a water quality officer, some uh, delivering the first prosecutions for pollution, uh, his degree as an environmental scientist, and then finishing off with a picture of him on a uh, on a trawler doing some sort of conservation work. But it's it's really long. I'm not going to go into all of it, but it really is. Uh, it's quite a mammoth post. I, I see. I reckon that's a bit of a social media win, don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's open to interpretation. Did he go a bit far in stating his credentials there? I mean, I think he kind of already made the point, hadn't he? But anyway, uh, that's for other people to decide. A final one from me. And this is actually a social media faux pas that I did on our account, Ollie, which you had to kind of clear up the mess on was I. <laughs> oh, God, don't remind me of this. <laughs> I, uh, I rather cheekily tweeted uh, a side by side comparison of the cakes that were supposedly on offer at the uh, Partnership of Independence Hustings event or Meet the Candidates event, uh, which looked really fantastic, sort of a gateau-y looking thing with blackberries on top. And then they posted... Uh, photos of the cakes that were actually on offer and um uh, you know in comparison to what was being offered i mean they looked fine they just didn't quite look as good and i sort of cheekily posted you know we're starting to doubt your election pledges and then i quickly realized that offending people's baking is 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 a huge no-no uh, no, it, it, so it's massively, it's, I mean, that is, is one of those things where it's like offending somebody's haircut. It's, it's impossible to come back from. So yeah. instead of, um, I, I don't think I sort of saved the day. What I did was <laughs> threw you under the bus so that, yeah, classic. <laughs> so yeah, that they didn't that. think it, you're welcome. Just Please put, it, put it personally on me, grump. not on you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I, to be fair, I, I realise that now. And, and, you know, my own baking skills are, well pretty non-existent i can knock out a banana cake every now and again but um even that's sometimes a bit hit or miss so yeah anyway lesson learned lesson learned well until the next time at least next up is pierre eman who describes himself as a creative he makes a magazine called mers focused on social and cultural issues which led to him standing in this year's election so how did uh, how did the magazine come about then tell us a bit more about it well, um, it, it sort of just evolved really from, uh, we, we, I started it with some friends at university, um, just sort of on the side really, just out of interest and curiosity, I guess, of different art around the world and, you know, just, I guess, like focusing on these issues like climate change, social justice and things like that. And uh, yeah, I left uni, did a bit of travelling and then just got straight back to it, I guess. I mean... It's yeah, it just seemed like something I always wanted to do, really. So I'm still doing it now, basically. But 
And and is uh, what did you do at uni? What's your sort of background? Uh, I did fine art. Yeah, so I'm I've sort of yeah I'm quite focused on creativity, uh, diversity, I guess. <laughs> and and does that come through in in how you're thinking about putting yourself forward to the voters? Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's crucial, really. I mean, I think the state sort of lacks a certain amount of creativity and diversity, or certainly diversity. And I think yeah, I'd like to see a lot more of that in the state's Guernsey and how it's run. And how do you bring that diversity? Do you think? I think just engaging with more more people, um, islanders. Like there's there's a lot of uh, there's there's no shortage of ideas on Ireland, and I think we need to listen to more of them and get more of them involved with decision making. Basically, what sort of ideas? In terms of like climate change, there I think that there's no shortage of ideas like in renewable energy. Um, you know, uh, repairing our biodiversity, how we can make new houses, but they're not necessarily being listened to. But that, that's my personal view anyway. And I think that's that's part of why I'm standing is I want to really highlight the fact that there, there are the ideas here. They're just, they just need, they need a government to listen to them and pull them forward, basically. So are you quite a, a green candidate then, Pierre? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think there's, there's other things I'd like to focus on. Um, and obviously, I get asked a lot of questions about any number of issues on the island. But I think that's my main focus would be, you know, addressing, addressing the, I guess, long term issues of our island and getting more islanders involved in making these decisions. And yeah. What sort of environmental measures do you think uh, would you like to see introduced if people are to vote for you? What sort of things would you be pushing for? We need we need to sort of shift the focus away from uh, like like I'm saying we need to focus on how 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 much our our choices are costing us so not basically just not just focus on on finance all the time and I you know I think that that's certainly controversial on Guernsey but I think it needs to be addressed and said and I think some of what I'm I, I'm suggesting in my manifesto isn't actually about you know just spend 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 by any means it's about actually looking at what we import and how we legislate you know thinking about things like the amount of waste we produce on island well i would think on an island one of the ways we could reduce that waste is by not importing so much packaging you know i think there's some things to me just make sense and you know i've been thinking them for a long time and i I don't quite understand where there's this gap between people thinking these ideas and politicians actually taking them forwards are there any other like, tangible things you'd like to see in terms of um, creating that environmental change? You know, for instance, wind turbines, things like that. Yes, I think. Like, I don't. I don't know. When discussing my manifesto, I think it's not. It's not so much about pledging that we're going to build lots of wind turbines here, there, and everywhere. Because to actually to actually say it's one thing, but to do it, it's a whole other ball game because it relies on consensus in the states, obviously. But I think what I will do is speak out and highlight where I think we should be going further and I think you know in terms of renewables we could be going a whole, whole lot further but to make a manifesto pledge based around it you know it, it, I wouldn't necessarily be able to implement so I think it would be silly to make promises that I wouldn't be able to stick to basically. Yeah but but to, to shout out and, and you know try to get your voice heard you must have some ideas about what you'd like to see happen in Guernsey um, you know outside of your manifesto what what are the things that you think could benefit the environment in Guernsey and and would you know bring bring around rapid change? I think um, focusing on growing locally would be a massive thing, and I think I mean that would require investment, but also you know we have no shortage of farmland, and that would make a massive difference if we were growing more of our own food. Like I've heard 
the figure four percent of our own food being slung about grown locally and i think that that is you know that's that's a tiny amount and it you know from a food security standpoint that's that's pretty poor really but we have the space to and we could do that and that's something tomorrow you know in fact <laughs> backtracking a bit when coronavirus started the states could have said from day one we're gonna we're going to invest in growing more food locally, but they didn't. And I think, you know, when coronavirus started, there were all sorts of conversations being battered about, about how um, uh, we're going to have a food crisis this year and stuff. And to say they didn't, they didn't take that decision there. And then I think was a bit, I don't want to criticize, but I think it would have been sensible. Um, And with renewables, I'll I'll certainly be calling for um, turbines because I think it makes sense. I think, if you, if you haven't um, looked at Renew Guernsey, they're very interesting because they they are focused on trying to push for it, and there's there's no shortage of in, investors looking to invest in renewable uh, energy from the private sector. I think it just requires government to sort of kickstart it, basically. Yeah, I was just going to say on 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 potentially generating energy through uh, wind. The states did a study looking into it, and um, basically, they I think they. To sort of paraphrase, they found that the cost of generation was, you know, higher than getting a a carbon neutral source from the the current supply, which okay is nuclear, and there are problems associated with that, or predominantly nuclear, um, through the cable from France. So, I mean, does that really have much of a benefit? I think I'm I'm quite skeptical of costs drawn up from the states of Guernsey. To be honest, um, I think. I just I don't know. I think there, there's there's plenty of plenty of people calling it for it locally, and Renew Guernsey have made compelling arguments to me certainly about why we should be investing in renewable technology. So I guess um, I think there might be a, a translation issue there in in one person saying one thing about how we could implement it, and another one saying it's simply not possible or not financially viable. When I th- I think it is personally. On the climate, do you think that the state's pledge to be carbon neutral by 2050 is ambitious enough and the measures associated with it? I think it's a really good start and I I, I certainly applaud those who worked on it and pushed it through, but I don't think it anywhere near goes far enough. I think it obviously, you know, it it, it, it sort of gets, gets it going, but it's not, I think 2050 is not really realistic. I think it's I mean, it's realistic on a financial point, but I don't think it's realistic on a planetary point. I think we need to be actually looking for, you know, going for 2035 rather than 2050. Do you think that, I guess it's a broader question really, is that, you know, you you do have a focus on um, the environment and you are a young candidate and you come from an artistic background. Do you worry at all that you're just like, not very Guernsey, if I can put it that way. I don't think so at all. I'm, I'm, I'm an islander through and through. Um, there is definitely an attitude. I, I like. I can understand where your question's coming from, but there is, there is a there is a huge amount of creativity and creative talent on Ireland. It just doesn't seem to, you know, bubble to the surface in the way I think it should. Because I think the more we explore our creativity and diversity, the better we are as a society. So I think, yeah, it, it makes a difference by having more creatives in powerful positions, basically. Not that I particularly want power, but, you know. <laughs> what, what would you say to someone who uh, who basically, I don't know, let, let's say works at a trust administration company and is happy to sit in their car for half an hour every day and 
go to and from their job in town and doesn't really care about the environment and just kind of you know, the economic well-being, say, of the island is their top priority. Well, I'm I'm not here, here to criticise or judge what other people do. You know, it's all about individual individual decisions. But I think if we can make the case and make alternatives appealing, then we will be able to take people with us. You know, so like I'm quite f- focused on trying to get more people out of their cars and onto their bikes. But to, <laughs> it would be wrong to go about that by telling people not to get into their cars. But if we can make cycling appealing and fun, then I think it'd be a win-win because actually those who need to drive those you know those who can't go on a bike the roads will actually be clearer you know if you look at amsterdam that's absolutely the case that as more people started to cycle their congestion reduced dramatically and those who actually do drive have a much more easy experience of it and one of the the sort of quite concrete things on your manifesto which stood out to me as a journalist is that you're you're calling for a a freedom of information law tell us why that's on there Uh, Because, well, I think it goes back to my first point I made that I don't think the government is accessible enough. And I think with that, I don't think I I think there's a level of transparency that is needed within local government. And I don't personally see that as a young person. I think if we want to call ourselves a functioning, transparent democracy, it's necessary to have a freedom of information law. Have you used the current system, the access to public information system? I haven't personally, but I've heard many people uh, criticise it and talk about how ineffective it is, basically. And also, you know, I've I've heard there's there's many costs associated to having a freedom of information law, but I think, you know, those those saying about those costs seem to me the ones that don't want it in the first place. Yeah, and so I mean, I I think we can probably agree and you know i i guess like i said i approach this from a journalistic perspective so yeah uh, perhaps i'm more inclined to than others um that the current system certainly lags behind other jurisdictions um but having said that it is a kind of bespoke solution for guernsey where there is a degree of transparency they do disclose information they do publish reports they have to be fair to the states of guernsey improved in the amount of information they put in the public domain uh, in recent times why would a why do you think a freedom of information law would improve things i think it's just about going further you know that I, I, many people have called for freedom of information law and i've seen it on other people's manifestos uh, coming up to this election and i think that basically speaks to the fact we don't think as an island they've gone far enough in, in transparency there's there's no denying there's been good progress made in transparency and information sharing, but I think it could go a whole lot further, basically. Especially with new technologies and stuff, community could be far more involved in decisions, and I think having an appropriate freedom of information law makes that, you know, it makes the case for it, basically. Um, I wanted to pick up on a point you made about nurses needing better pay, because earlier you said it's not about slinging money about, but sort of paying nurses more, Um you know, is is more money. Where does that come from? Well, if you look at how much they uh, the the hospital spends on getting agency nurses over each year, it's it's quite a gobsmacking figure. I can't remember it off the top of my head to be honest, but I attended the RCN meeting the other day, and I think I think it's just shocking to be honest. That there's I think there's roughly a ten thousand pound pay gap uh, in the pay disparity, 
And I think, you know, people were saying, where would we find this money from? The, the point is the state should have found that money by now. Uh, it's been going on for decades. They should have found that money and paid them. And I think certainly in the light of COVID, for them not to have solved the pay disparity is just shocking. Uh, my mother's a nurse and, you know, she, she, she puts a huge amount of energy and effort into her job, uh, just caring for islanders. And I think for the states not to recognise the work they do is is just appalling, really. I mean, they have cut back on agency nurses, though, haven't they? And also, um, yeah, they, yeah. they do find it difficult getting nurses or trainee nurses to even sign up to to train in Guernsey. So I suppose, you know, things things are moving in the right direction. Um, so it, it's not like they have been completely missing recognition right but it's not just about recognizing you know you uh, we, we are a society that pay is the way we value people and I think if you don't pay people right you don't value them right and I think you know you you say you say they've struggled to get get nurses signed up I think when you look at how much Jersey pays their nurses compared to Guernsey if you're a nurse coming from the UK you're certainly going to go to Jersey I think Jersey pays their nurses around roughly like 40,000 a year. And then in Guernsey, obviously, it starts at, I think, 26,400. I think that's gone up slightly now. But still, you know, that's quite a big gap. And you're not going to pick to come to Guernsey, are you, <laughs> if you're going to be paid that much more in Jersey? And I think, you know, it really, it really does show. So I want to move on to um, your point about building a world-class system of education. Obviously, that is a big talking point and has been for quite some time now, the education system. In Guernsey, how would you see it being a world-class system? What would you change? Well, I think firstly, what I want to say is uh, standing as a young candidate, I'm not, you know, I'm not an education specialist. I'm not, I'm not standing because I'm, I'm versed in how we go about implementing it, etc., but looking at it from an outside perspective, I think there's been far too much conversation about what buildings we need and what sites we need and not enough focus on what curriculum could really benefit our children. And I think that that's where I'm coming at it from. I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not suggesting I have the answer, all the answers to it. I'm just simply suggesting we need to focus on the needs of our children, not flip flopping and arguing about what buildings we need for it. I mean, I think that's the only realistic answer I can give. I'm not, like I say, I'm not an education specialist and I, I, don't, I don't particularly want to be. I just, I think we could be a far more grown up about how we have this debate. What do, you, what do you make of people who really sort of nail their colours to the mast and say, I want to, uh, three schools and, uh, you know, or whatever it is, whatever their position is. What, what do you think of those kind of promises in this election campaign? I think, you know, it sort of comes back to why I'm standing. I think there's far too much entrenchment in in our decision makers, you know, like like you say, two school, three school. It just doesn't really make sense to me. I, I don't see it from that perspective. I think surely we should be getting around a table and making a decision. And, you know, some will argue they've done, they've done that or tried to do that. But I think, you know, <laughs> children can sometimes behave far more grown up than adults can. And I think in this in this argument and debate, that's certainly been been the case. So moving on, you're you're one of the many independent candidates who who are sort of making a, a point of being independent. Uh, why is that important for you to not be siding with a um, quote unquote political party? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't particularly want to criticise the parties. You know, they're doing good work. Independents are doing good work, and they all care about the island. But I I don't personally think political parties work very well or effectively. I think. Uh, some of the you know commitments parties are making about working together and stuff 
surely that should have been reflected in the last assembly if that's how they want to move forwards. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the electorate elect us and we have to come together and make decisions. So I think, yeah, part, parties can work and they, they could have a place, but I don't particularly see myself as being part of one or wanting to be part of one. I think I want to be a sort of voice of opposition um, to challenge things and to try and, you know, better how we, we approach topics and subjects and how we move forwards as an island. And I think, yeah, I think I'm best placed to do that, not in a party. But do you think that people will listen to this and, you know, you, you've said you don't want to make pledges because you can't promise to, you know, as, a, as an individual candidate, you sort of felt that it would be foolish to promise X, Y, Z. But is it equally as foolish to think that you can uh, scrutinise and kind of uh, actually force change on your own as well? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's important to have voices willing to, you know, speak out about subjects and there's obviously no shortage of deputies who are willing to do that, but I think we, there's not been the diversity of age or, you know, to actually get get the views of the young across. And I think it's important we have people from different backgrounds in the States of Guernsey. I think currently that's, you know, that's not really the case. And I think it's really important. And whilst parties could be part of that, I think actually just more diversity of independent voices, we could, you know, share views and, come up with better decisions based on that not not forming block decisions i think you know uh, yeah <laughs> but surely surely if you had a, a seat at the table um in one of the parties to to form one of those block decisions you know you've got um the other sort of young candidates stepping forward right now josh maxoni allying himself with the political party you know the independence uh could be you know could be your downfall surely well, no, I think, is that not the point, though, that being a member of the States of Guernsey, you have a seat at the table? I think it actually goes further to to reduce accountability by having a party, in you know, parties inside the States. I think as individual deputies, we're far more accountable to the population. But that's my view. And I think, you know, you say they're a party, but they're not meant to be a party, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, so what you're thinking is that there, you know, it creates another allegiance almost where people might yeah. put the party before the voter. I th- I think so. I absolutely yeah, that's my my take on it to be honest. Um when you look at the way parties operate in the UK, you can't seriously say they're more accountable than your personal MP. And I think that would be the case over here as well. Like I think with sw- such a small island it makes sense to have a coalition of independents who you know, drive drive change and come up with decisions together rather than, I don't know, yeah. I have no desire to be a member of one of the parties, but I can see why people are doing it and people want it because of how the last assemblies, you know, conducted themselves and behaved. Pierre Eamon, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Finally, a chat with Karen Blanchford and Carol LePage from the Guernsey Disability Alliance. We asked them what barriers they'd like to see election candidates remove for disabled people. Well, we're we're looking to address lots of different barriers that are covered under the UNCRPD, which is the UN Convention to Protect the Rights of Disabled People. So that covers 
lots of things. And uh, one of the main things is the anti-discrimination legislation. So we've got part of the way there, but we we need the next states and the next uh, people that are elected in to actually follow that through to make sure that it's the legislation gets prioritised to make sure that um, action is taken by individuals and in the states um, and to make sure that um, education and the rollout of more um, education and more ideas about how to help people is actually rolled out, which is a really important part before the actual legislation comes in. So that there's a lot of things that the states have already agreed to. And we need to uh, make sure that the next states actually follows through on that as well. And you've actually written a manifesto um, to sort of back up those points, right? So that the candidates, I assume, have you know a firm knowledge of exactly the, the agenda that you're hoping to push in the next term. Uh, yes, we want them to be aware of uh, what we are likely to be coming and knocking on their door and lobbying them <laughs> for. So that's one of the reasons that uh, we've put the, this uh, manifesto together. Obviously, we're not standing. We haven't got any candidates running. It's not a manifesto for people to elect us in any way. But I did it wonder is... at first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's more. It is for the candidates that are standing, so that they know you know, what what we're looking for from them and what action we want them to take over the next four years. So, as I said, part of this has already started. There are things going on like the supported living and ageing well, which are very important to members and uh, carers um, of the Guernsey Disability Alliance. And we've also got things in our in our action plans for them to do, which is to actively consider people affected by disability, so that's people with impairments and carers, in all decisions that uh, they make in their elected terms so that they, they're they not just thinking about it in um, one small box, but actually every decision that the states make will affect either carers or people with impairments. Uh, so anybody affected by disability will be affected by all the decisions that the states make. And it's trying to um, get them to think and consider that when they're making their decisions as they go through. From your manifesto, I noticed that um, Guernsey is lagging behind the rest of the world as it stands. Um, can you talk me through the figures that, you, um, uh, that you've sort of portrayed in your manifesto? Yes, unfortunately, uh, we're in 1% of uh, the the uh, jurisdictions in the world that uh, doesn't have cover of the UN Convention on Rights of People with Disabilities. So 99% of people living in other countries have that have signed up to uh, that convention. Uh, but we're alongside Kosovo. Uh, we were alongside Somalia and Kosovo, but Somalia have now had um, theirs extended and ratified to uh, to Somalia. So we're now alongside Kosovo in the 1% of jurisdictions not covered by that. And uh, on your manifesto, there is uh, quite an emotive picture um, of a woman holding a, a sign saying, here I am again, still waiting. Now, Karen, I know that you've been, uh, you know, pushing this agenda for a long time. Uh, do, you, do you feel like it's been a kind of a slow process? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, GDA was set up 13 years ago. Um, many people have been campaigning for a lifetime. We've um, seen um, people like Taya, Jolien, you know, so many of uh, what, what were children grow into adults and then now looking for an employment. Um, last time the stalling was around the last election, you know, four and a half years ago. And obviously each time there's election or a change of government, like civil service as well, there's a stall. So, um, yeah, it's been a long, long wait. And it, it was August we were celebrating. Um, and I think we probably celebrated for a week or two. Um, and now we're back into, right, here we go again. Here's the hard grind of getting uh, candidates to understand what it is that we're looking for and some of those things are very strategic like um, the legislation but some of those things and the barriers are very tactical so being able to get onto transport or um, being able to read um, either signs or menus or being able to hear um, you know what people are saying or um, you know whether you're in a restaurant cafe bar accessing a building um, accessing a website, you know, some of those things aren't as huge as the legislation is, but they have a day-to-day -day impact on the massive diversity that is around disability. So we will have probably between 60 and 70 members at the hustings this Wednesday, and each one of those members or a committee for a charity will be discussing with the candidates what the barriers are, what their expectations are from those candidates if they got in. Even if they don't get in, this is a really great time for them to listen directly um, to our members and to understand um, what works well for them, what, what's difficult and what um, basically prevents them from taking a full and active part in society. Brilliant. Well, I really appreciate your time uh, and for chatting to the Guernsey Daily, Karen and Carol. Thank you very much indeed. No worries. Thank, thank you. you. The GDA's Hustings event is for candidates only and is being held at 6pm at St Pierre Park tomorrow, Wednesday the 16th. It'll be like speed dating as the candidates rotate around 12 tables hosted by the GDA members and they'll be launching their manifesto at the event too. Thanks for listening. If you want more election fun, the audio manifestos are live. You can hear the first one in the same place that you found this episode of the Guernsey Daily. And you can hear us on Guernsey Community Radio, who we've partnered with. To get in touch, find us on Twitter at Guernsey Daily, or you can email us at theguernseydaily at gmail.com. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.